All right, so let me see if I can give you um, a little uh, navigation map here. So we're in True Story. Um, this is a series that we started back last, last Christmas, last December. So over the course of the last year, we have been working our way through the book of Luke. We're like through chapter 11, I think, is where we are today. Um, we, you know, we take some time off, we do different things. But for the most part, for a year now, we've been in Luke. And uh, this is our last Sunday in Luke for a, a bit. Let me tell you why. Next Sunday, of course, um, Richard and I are going to be sharing about our trip to India um, it will not be, you know, it won't be videoed, it won't be all that kind of stuff, we're going to be really sensitive. So if you want to be a part of that, make sure you're here so you can hear it. And then the week after that, we're going to start a series, a Christmas series called Birthmark. You can see it right there. Um, this is, uh, will be all in December. And so, you know, what is a birthmark? Um, a birthmark is, um, it's evidence that you've been birthed. That's not the right way to say it. Borned. So it's evidence of birth. Okay, let's just go with that. So um, we'll be taking that month, we'll be talking about like how are we changed? How are we a mark of the fact that Jesus was born? And then like how are, when we're born again, when we have new life in Christ, what are some marks that we would, we would see in our lives? So that's, that's taking place. And then of course in January, we'll be doing um, this series on, uh, we don't have a, a slide for it yet, but we'll be doing a series on spiritual warfare. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but like there's a lot of attack going on right now. I don't know if you feel it, but I definitely feel it. I feel it when I pray for, for you and when I pray for us. So in January, we're going to take a month and we're going to talk about like, like, what's that look like in the life of a Christian? How do we fight well as believers? And so um, sometime in February, we'll be back in, in Luke. But what, what is the whole point of Luke? What is the whole reason why we've been studying this, this Bible, this, this book in the Bible? It's this. There was a man named Theophilus. I've told you a story a number of times now. And he, he came to Luke and he said, listen, um, we've heard stories of this man named Jesus. We've heard amazing things that he's done. But it's all just hearsay. Would you be willing to investigate these claims and see if what we're hearing is true? And so, you know, you've heard the hashtag true story. It's funny, even over the last week, I've heard that so many times from people that said, no, true story. Um, what that means is whatever, whatever I just told you, no matter how crazy it might sound, hashtag true story, so it's legit. And what we've said is Luke is the very first hashtag true story. The, the book of Luke that you have in your Bible is the report that Luke came back and gave to Theophilus. He said, look, you wanted to know if these stories are true. And here, I'm telling you, this is a true story. And so we've been studying Luke and why it's true. And here's what I love about the Gospel of Luke. Luke didn't go on a fact-finding expedition just to come back and report a bunch of facts. He didn't say, you know, here's some stuff I want you to memorize and you'll never use it. Um, I don't know what classes you've taken in, school, in your schooling, but for me, I think of calculus in the 12th grade. So calculus in the 12th grade was the most bizarre class I've ever taken. Um, I couldn't figure out for the life of me how I'd ever use calculus. And so I would sit, this is going to sound really weird, I'd sit in my, cal- in my calculus class, and she would be talking, and it was like, wah, 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 and don't understand anything she's saying. And I'm thinking the whole time, I'm never in my life going to be in New York City and have a person put a gun to my back and say, if you can't answer this calculus question, I'm going to kill you. Right? Never going to happen. Like, how am I ever going to make a practical use of what I'm hearing right now? And that's when I realized a lot of times we just, now some of you are in fields where you're probably using the stuff that I should have learned in calculus. So I'm not saying that that was a waste of time. But for me, I just couldn't figure out theoretically, like, how will I ever make this work in my life? 
which is why I'm a pastor, right? Because you don't have to know calculus. We can get so guilty of collecting facts and not ever using them, okay? So um, what I love about Luke is Luke is saying to Theophilus, yes, it's a true story. But because it's true, it's going to require something of you. It's going to require something of you. What, what have we learned in Luke so far? That Jesus is the Son of God, sent by God to be the light of God so that people can find their way back to God. Isn't that what we've learned? Luke says, Theophilus, he's the Son of God. And it changes everything. Now, the reason why this is important is because when we're going to take this little break, this two-month two break from Luke, I can't think of a better passage to kind of hit the pause button on than this one in Luke chapter 11. It's a lot of verses. We're in verses 29, I think, through 54, the end of the chapter. I'm not going to read them all to you. Um, what you'll find is there's three specific sections. One is the sign of Jonah. This is if you have headings in your Bible. The sign of Jonah. And then um, one is, I think, um, good eyes, something like that. And then the other one is six woes. Um, so those are kind of the three sections that we'll be in. But what we find is that Luke is going to do here what he's done the entire book. He's going to establish firmly and securely that Jesus is the Son of God. And we should do something as a result of knowing that he's the Son of God. Okay? What he's going to say is that Jesus is a sign. Everybody wants signs. He's going to say Jesus is a sign. And so because he's the sign, reflecting the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to the world, God sent him as a sign, then we need to... Do something with that sign. And what we're going to find today is, now that Jesus is not here, and you know that he's not here, right? You know that if you met somebody on the street, am I too close? Is this uncomfortable for you? If you met somebody on the street and they said to you, I'm Jesus, your first phone call is to who? Exactly. I have met a crazy person, and I need you to come meet me and take them with you, right? Um, Jesus is not walking the planet any longer. He's no longer here. He came and did what he was supposed to do. And now the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father. Now, the gospel is still very active in the world, right? Through the Holy Spirit in us. We just sang about that. I'm alive. I'm alive. You breathe on me with the Holy Spirit. You revive me. Okay? So what we're learning is, and this is great, Jesus came as a sign to mankind. And then he left. And he turned to us and said, go be the sign. Now, this is important because here's your big idea today. Our lives illuminate his message. Our lives illuminate his message. And, and um, I, I try to come up with, you know, I try to come up with good, good titles for my messages. And this one, I failed miserably. It's some boring thing about light. But last night, I realized I have a better, I have a better title. So here's your title. How to avoid being a bad neon sign. Okay. So that's the title of the message, if you're, if you're writing it down. How to avoid being a bad neon sign. And here's why this is important. If our lives illuminate his message, and what is his message? God loves everybody. Yeah, but the message is the gospel, right? The message is, I was sent by God, right? I was sent by God to sacrifice my life on a cross, to be raised from the dead, so that men could be brought back to God. That's the message. That's his message. And we'll see this. Now, it's going to be a while before we get to Luke chapter 19. But Luke chapter 19, verse 10, most important verse in the whole Bible, Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And that's what he did. And then when he went back to heaven, he turned to you and I, and he said, or you and me, and he said, now you go do that. 
go to the ends of the earth and illuminate my message. So if signs, if lives, our lives illuminate the message, here's what I learned about signs, okay? Signs communicate a message. Broken signs communicate the wrong message. Sounds really deep, doesn't it? So I brought pictures to show you. Neon signs. Check this out. See that? What, what message does that send? Our books are full of crap. But there's an S that's not lit. I think that's scrapbooks. So when, when a, bro, a sign communicates a message, a broken sign communicates sometimes an incorrect message. I've got a few more. I don't think that what they, I don't think what they meant to say was we're fat and easy. I think they meant to say fast and easy, which could also be a horrible... I mean, so you're kind of getting it, right? Like a broken sign communicates the wrong message. I've got a few more. Now, um, I think I've eaten at that buffet. I think I've eaten at the nasty buffet. But I don't think you've been there too. I think I saw you at the nasty buffet. But I don't think that's what they meant to say, right? It's just that the sign is broken. I think we've got maybe, yeah. Now, Back when gas prices were through the roof, this may have actually been a correct message, right? It may have been, but I don't think that Shell really wants people to think that they think that their gas is hell, right? Broken signs communicate an incorrect message. Do we have one more? Yeah. I happen to love Starbucks coffee, and I don't think they meant to say that their coffee sucks, but they did. So here's why this is important, okay? And then we'll go into Luke 11. Our lives illuminate his message. I'm going to say that a lot today because that's what I want you to remember. Our lives illuminate his message. Five words. We've got to avoid being a bad neon sign. So those, those neon signs, they all were made to communicate a message. But they didn't all function correctly. They were, they were bad neon signs. They were broken neon signs. A, lot, a letter here, a letter there, a few letters here didn't work. And so it communicated an entirely different message. And, and what we're going to see today is that we need to avoid that. We have got to avoid being a bad neon sign. Because if our lives are, are meant to illuminate his message, then people are looking at us as a sign. And if we're not dealing with the light of God the right way, we actually can communicate to the world an entirely different message from what he wanted to communicate. Does that make sense? So I've got three, three things. You've got them on your sheet. Three things that I think we've got to do if we want to avoid being a bad neon sign, okay? Here's the first one. And, and these all come from these three sections in Luke chapter 11, okay? We're not going to read all of them verse by verse. But he starts out by talking about the sign of Jonah, Jesus, Jesus said this, as the crowd was increasing, it says, that Jesus turned to the crowd and said, a wicked generation asked for a sign. So we need, to, we need to pick that apart just for a second. Number one, Jesus was different than most pastors today. Because most, most pastors today, as crowds increase, they say nicer things. Would you agree? Because they don't want to lose the crowd. As the crowd increased around Jesus, he turns and says, you're a wicked generation. Why? 
because they were asking for a sign. Now, some of you and myself, we've done this before. We've, we've gotten on our knees, especially when you're super desperate, right? And we've said to God, oh God, if you will fill in the blank, then I will know that it's you and then I will go and do, right? So that's asking for a sign. I want to, I want to be, be really clear here. That's not what Jesus is calling wicked. Not from the context of what we're reading, okay? What he's calling wicked is when you ask for a sign that you have no intention of even obeying. When you ask for something and you're not already doing what you could be doing with what you already have. I know that sounds really confusing, so I've, I've got a clip. We're going to show it in just a minute. Let me set it up. This is a movie that almost all of you have seen. You're going to recognize the scene immediately, and you're going to chuckle. You should because it's really funny, but it really proves the point that sometimes this is what we do with God. This is what's wicked is we ask for a sign, but we have no intention of following what the sign says. Go ahead. Okay, God. You want me to talk to you? Tell me what's going on. What should I do? Give me a signal. Please send me a sign. Oh, what's this Joker doing now? Okay. All right. I'll try it your way. All right. Lord, I need a miracle. I'm desperate. I need your help, Lord. Please. Reach into my life. So sometimes that's, that's us. And that's what's going on in this first section of Luke 11, okay? 29, I think, to verses 32. He's saying a wicked generation asked for a sign. And he names a bunch of things. He names Jonah. Now, you know, maybe know this if you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school. Jonah was swallowed by a giant fish, and he was in the fish for three days, and then he got vomited out. <laughs> that's a fantastic story. I'll preach that someday because it's fun. Um, can you imagine, just, like, he was well puke. That's crazy. Anyway, let's move on. So um, he mentions the Queen of Sheba which uh, you may not know who the Queen of Sheba is. The Queen of Sheba back in the day in the Old Testament, she traveled from where she was. She traveled basically the entire known world to sit and listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And what Jesus is saying in this situation is, you're wicked because you're asking for signs and I'm standing in front of you. I'm here. I'm right here standing in front of you. See, what's wicked is, what's wicked is this. When we ask for more before we've done anything with what we already have. I, I, I probably sounded harsh in the first service, but I, I said it, it was like, it's like this. It's like, it's like you asking me to wow you with a sermon if you're not doing the last sermon that I wowed you with. If, if I wowed you with one. Um, A.W. Tozer 
says this. Um, he says that he used to preach because he was a pastor, and he preached the same message three weeks in a row. And he was at one of the churches where you go to the door and you shake hands. Like sometimes I'll shake hands as y'all are leaving. And he was shaking hands, and this, this sweet little lady walked up and shook his hand. She said, Pastor, that was such a good message, but do you know that you've preached it three weeks in a row? And he was like, well, when you start living it, I'll preach another one. That's what he calls, that's what Jesus is calling wicked. What he's saying is like, you, you're asking for more, and you don't recognize what I've already given you. He says, someone greater is here. And he's talking about himself, right? Now listen, so this is your first point. We, we've, if we want to avoid being a bad neon sign, we've got to recognize the light. We've got to recognize Jesus. Now recognition is huge. How many of you um, know that if you don't recognize something, you can get yourself in a well of trouble? When, when Winnie and I were first married, um, her, well, she still doesn't. Her mom loves to cater. So we were, at, um, we were at a, a, in Campobello, South Carolina. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's a small town, um, upstate South Carolina. And we were helping her mom with a catering job. And so we, we haven't been married that long. And it's the end of the day, you know. So my job is the muscle, which I think is funny because look at me, right? But, you know, my job was to collect the dirty trays, the dirty plates, and bring them into the kitchen and set them down. And, then, you know, somebody would wash them and dry them. And so Wendy was working in the kitchen, and I'm doing the heavy lifting, heavy lifting. And so one time I came back in. I had, I had my hands all full, and it was almost over. You were almost done. I set the plates down. And I turned and I saw Wendy. She was like right there and she was, on the, she was on the phone. The church phone. Like, you know, pick it up and touch the phone. Which I thought was really weird. Like, why is Wendy on the phone? But I was just like, man, she was. And I, I was so in love. I'm so still so in love with Wendy. But, you know, we'd just been married. I, I, I just, I went up to give her a hug. And now, look, I don't want to be awkward. But when you hug your spouse from behind, that's intimate, right? I mean, you're with me, right? That's, I mean, like, that's just. And I, I went up and I got right here. <gasps> Realized it wasn't her. <sighs> so if you're ever in that predicament, here's what I did. I was like, right? She didn't even know I was there. I mean, I was good. I was, I recovered, right? But that would have been, can you just imagine for a moment if I had bear hugged a stranger in a church Hey, babe, what is going on, right? Man, recognition is really critical. It's important that we recognize the light. And that's what Jesus is saying. John 8, 12, he said this, like, you know, I'm the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He's turning to the crowd as the crowd's increasing, and he's saying, look, you keep asking for a sign. Hello, I'm the sign. Recognize me. And they didn't. We've, we've got to recognize. If we're going to avoid being a bad neon sign, we've got to recognize the light. The, the, the longer I live, I can't believe I'm old enough to say things like that. The longer I live, the more this becomes my prayer. You know, when I pray for our church, I don't, I don't pray. I mean, I don't pray that we become a mega church. That'd be cool. I'd be probably fun for a day. What I pray more than anything else is that we would see Jesus. I mean, really see Jesus. And that we would see people. And that we would recognize the times. See what I'm saying? Like, and if you're a parent, and you, you know, early on you pray for your kid to be like, you know, a star in the NFL and make lots of money. But have you noticed the older your children get, the more your prayers become. God, just let them have vision. Let them see. 
I don't have direction. Like, that recognition thing is huge. And this is the first thing we got to do. If we're going to not, if we're going to be good neon signs, if we're going to illuminate his message, we've got to recognize the light. And this first part of what Jesus is saying, he's realizing that they don't recognize him. That they're looking right past Jesus, looking for something else. I don't want us to be that church ever. Let's not look past Jesus for something else. Because Jesus is saying, look, I'm someone greater than what you're asking for is standing in front of you right now. Right? Here's the second thing. We've got to recognize the light. We also have to receive the light. If we don't, if we don't receive it, he talks about um, good eyes and bad eyes, the lamp of the body. This, this is critical. Um, a lot of people recognize Jesus. Um, a lot of you are into apologetics. So let me define what that is. Apologetics. Apologists are people who are really, I mean, they're really smart, but they've got a specific call to stand in front of a crowd or talk to people that don't really know who Jesus is and don't really know why Christians do what they do, and they can address those questions. Like if you've ever had somebody say to you, why do you believe fill in the blank, you might have gone, uh, but an apologetic, he would just, an apologist would just, oh, well, we believe that because, and they would answer that question. They're really smart, really brilliant. Let me give you a couple names you've probably heard of. Um, Ravi Zacharias, brilliant mind. He's, a, he's, he's an apologist. He, he, he practices apologetics in the church. Um, if you listen to things that he says, you might have to listen to him more than once because he's really good and really smart. And sometimes he says things, you're like, what? And you have to listen to it again. Josh McDowell, that's going back a few years. That's more my generation. Frank Turek, a lot of the teenagers here at the church got to hear Frank Turek at the Whitewater Center this past summer. Um, he wrote a book called you don't have, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. These are men who, who address skeptics and answer their questions. They help people recognize Jesus, right? Are you with me? But you know what they can't help them do? They can't make them receive Jesus. This is huge. John 1.12 says this. John 1.12 says, Jesus is talking. He says, to those who believed, to those who would receive him, God gave them the right to become children of God. It's one thing to recognize Jesus, but to receive him. That's the next step, right? And if you listen to these apologetics talk, if you listen to these apologists talk, here's what they'll say. Almost all of them have the same story. Different people, but same story. I met with the person. I convinced them. I answered all their questions. I convinced them Jesus is who he says he is. And I even asked them, now have I answered all your questions? Yes. Do you want to follow Jesus? No. Because it's not a head thing. It's a will thing. And so when Jesus talks about good eyes and bad eyes, um, verse 34, this is our key verse. Luke chapter 11, verse 34, in this section, here's what Jesus said. Your eye is the lamp of your body. And when your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But when they're bad, your body also is full of darkness. What is Jesus saying? He's saying this. Good eyes receive light, but bad eyes don't. I don't want to sound insensitive about eyesight. But here's the truth. What makes a person blind is not the lack of light. It's the lack of their eye's ability to receive light. You can stand in front of a a visually impaired person and you can shine the brightest spotlight in their face and they still, they'll feel it, but they won't see it. Because the issue is not the light. And that's what Jesus is saying. The issue is not me, guys. Jesus. (laughs) 
The issue's not Jesus. He's saying, I'm, I am the light of the world. I'm here. I'm standing in front of you. Recognize me for who I am. But don't just recognize me, but receive me, right? Now, um, how do we receive Jesus? Well, we recognize him by the word, right? We, we read about him. We learn about him. But how do we receive him? How do we go from just head knowledge about Jesus to heart knowledge? We make a decision to trust what he said is true. We make a decision to lay down our rights and follow Jesus, right? Now, I'm just going to use this as a visual illustration. Don't change the way you're sitting, okay? Because a lot of you are like me, and this is a very comfortable position, okay? So I do this all the time. But we go from this to this, right? And a lot of times with, with Jesus, this is where most people are. I mean, I recognize them, sure, but I don't know what I want to do with them. And what Jesus is saying is, man, recognize the light and then receive the light. Receive the light. What do we do, and um, what do we do when, when we read things in the Bible that we don't like? I don't, maybe you've never experienced that, but I have. Right? You read a verse and go, "Ugh, I was loving the Bible until I read that one." Right? Because it, it challenges us, it calls for something from us, and in that moment, we have a choice: do we continue to receive the light, or do we reject it? What I think is interesting is, you know, I told you what John one twelve says that. To those who received him, God gave them the right to become children of God. This is the step of salvation, right? It's not being around Jesus. It's not recognizing Jesus. It's receiving him. This is the critical step of salvation. As a matter of fact, so much so that there, it's possible that you're here today and you, you do church a lot. In the south, it's becoming less and less. But in the south, in the Bible Belt, there's a lot of religious activity. You could be around a lot of light but still not have received it. And that's the point that Jesus is making. You want to be a, a good neon sign for me? Recognize who I am and receive me. Receive light into you. And if you receive light in, what does he say in verse 34? Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, I could shine light all day long and your body will be full of darkness. We can waste a lot of time. Having asked him who the, for a sign, he gives us himself, and then we reject it instead of receiving it. Receive the light. And he, here's the last one. I told you the big idea today is um, our lives illuminate his message. It would be great if, it would be fantastic, if all we had to do was recognize Jesus and receive him. But I'm going to make a statement. You already, you're going to, I mean, it sounds so harsh, but it's not. Keeping the light for ourselves is incompatible with biblical Christianity. It's incompatible with biblical Christianity. He didn't save us so that we could keep it to ourselves, right? So we recognize Jesus for who he is. Ah, oh, you're the son of God, sent by God to shine the light of God so that men can get back to God. You're, you're, that's who you are, Jesus. I recognize that. And I receive you. I was far from God and I'm receiving what you, what you did for me and now I'm near God. But then we reflect, that's the last R, we reflect the light. Now, it's, it's not necessarily here in Luke, but here's a couple of verses to jot down. Matthew chapter 5, 16 says this, that our light shines before men and men give praise to God. We shine light before men and they bring praise before God. Acts 13, 47 says that we've been called to shine light 
to the ends of the earth. And that that light actually brings salvation to the ends of the earth. 1 John 1, 5. He wrote this, we proclaim to you what we also heard, that God is light. So there's the cycle of the gospel, right? Somebody proclaimed to you that God's light, and you heard it, you recognized it, you received it. And then what do you do according to 1 John 1, 5? You go back out and tell somebody else that God's light. And they receive it. And then they reflect it. We recognize, we receive, and then we reflect. That's what we do. That's how you become a good neon sign for the kingdom of God. Recognize, receive, reflect. Now, where do the woes fit in? Where do these woes fit in, these, these awful woes at the end of chapter 11? I think it's because Jesus is giving us an example of what it looks like if we don't receive the light. Right? So he's talking to these leaders and, and they're religious leaders. They're Pharisees and they're scribes. These are people that are doing all the right religious things to try to win approval with God. And Jesus is saying, look, you're asking me for signs and I'm the sign. Recognize who I am and recognize why I'm here and receive me and then reflect me. But they're like, no, we don't recognize you. And even if we did, we don't want to receive you. And so Jesus turned to them and gave them woes. And I'm not going to read all of them. But he, said that he would say things like, Woe to you, scribes, for giving people, I'm paraphrasing, a ton of religious things to do and then not lifting a finger to help them. Woe to you, Pharisees, for being like a hidden, unmarked grave so that when people don't know you're there and they step on it, the grave gives way beneath them and they fall into the ground and get trapped. This is how Jesus is talking. Jesus is not afraid to say hard things, right? He's not afraid to say hard things. What I think is even interesting is this. He begins our passage saying something hard to a growing crowd, right? This crowd's growing, it's increasing. And he turns to him and says, um, excuse me, time out. You're a wicked generation. And then he ends it with all these woes to these religious leaders. And let's see how they reacted, okay? Let's see how they reacted. At the end of chapter 11, after the woes, it says this. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him, how? Fiercely, and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Okay, here's how we're going to wrap this up. Make sure this makes sense. Y'all know that words mean things, right? Words mean things. That's why we have vocabulary. Um. So, if you're a sign, then you're, there's times you're going to open your mouth and talk, right? You're going to say things. You're going to have to. And, and what I want you to get is this. Religion, and by religion, I don't mean like you're in church today, but religion means I'm trying to do good things to earn my way to God, okay? Religion tends to make everything about words. Everything. Jesus is trying to teach them and us that true Christianity is about knowing and doing. Now, some of you are really good at knowing. You're smart. I'm looking right now. I see some, yeah, the smart ones in here. Yeah, you're smart. You know a lot of stuff. Some of, but you don't do, maybe, maybe you don't do as much as you, but you know a lot. Some of you are really good at doing. Some of you are so good at doing, you will do even if you don't know. You're the people who call repairmen, and you say things like this. 
hello, can you come fix the thing that I broke when I tried to fix it, right? <laughs> like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to jump in there and do it. What Jesus is saying is neither of those extremes are right. It's knowing and doing. It's like, I'm here, I'm the sign. Now, let's go do something with it. And what, what did the Pharisees, what was their response? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do nothing except I'm going to start watching everything Jesus says. And I'm going to try to find something wrong with it. That was their response to the sign. And that can't be our response. Our response can't be, well, I'm just going to try to pick Jesus apart. Because there will be things that Jesus says that will be like, ugh, I, w- I wish I wasn't there. Because we're called, and we also are called to reflect that message. And so if, we're, if our lives illuminate his message, then the best testimony is you received light, your life changed, and people are watching you going, I mean, I know you're Alex and you're not Jesus, but when I watch your life, it's like, I think that's pretty close. I want to live my life so that when my kids are gone, they can look back and say, Dad wasn't just a Sunday Christian. Like, he changed. He did something. He knew Jesus and it affected his life. And that's how we communicate to the world the gospel. That's what it means to be a good neon sign. That's when the letters aren't broken. That's when scrapbooks doesn't turn into crap books, right? We don't want people to look at our lives and go, that's almost the gospel. We want them to look at our lives and say, that's the gospel. That's how Jesus changes a life. Because our lives illuminate his message. And what is his message? Well, it's not Republican. It's also not Democrat. His message is, you had no shot. You were dead in your sins. And my father, who is full of love, sent me to this earth to live a sinless life and down a cross for your sins. To be resurrected. He, wrote, he raised me from the dead to validate what I had done on the cross so that you could have not only life here, but life for eternity. And it all comes by making one decision to make me Lord of your life and to follow me. To recognize who I am, receive who I am, and then reflect to the world who I am. That's his message. And that's the message that you and I display, either well or poorly, right? We display that. So what, what, does, our, what does our city need? What does our county need? What does the state need, the country? What does our culture need? They need good neon signs, big arrows blinking and pointing to Jesus. That's what they need, and that's what we get to do. Our lives illuminate his message. And I want to pray this morning for you and for me that we would do the best job illuminating his message, that we would point people the best possible way to Jesus, that we would not, don't get, don't get hung up on, well, is it words or not words? Um, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 4, verse 10. Let me just make sure I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. 20, I was so close. He said this. He said, the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but a matter of action. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on a rock. That's who we want to be. Hear the word, recognize Jesus, receive Jesus, and then reflect him. Like, hear it and then do it, right? I, mean, I want to pray that you walk out of here with power.
You walk out of here reflecting the love of Christ, reflecting the light of Christ being a good sign. You are the sign. Huh, look at the person next to you. Is that good or bad? It's good. It's good. Francis Chan says, says this. I love how he says it. He'll say, we, we are so bad. If you don't know who Francis Chan is, just Google it. It'd be worth your time. Watch everything he's ever done. He's phenomenal. He'll say, we are so bad in church about like picking apart everything, like to the nth degree, the Greek word and the meaning. And, and it doesn't mean that's us bad. He said, but what's, what happened? We do all of that, but we never actually do what we just studied. Do it, right? Be, be the man, the woman who hears the word of God and puts it into practice. Recognize who Jesus is, receive him, and then reflect him to the world. And that will change the culture. I love that. It'll change marriages. It'll change you personally. It'll change your job. It'll change everything when we just simply do that. Our lives illuminate his message. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for allowing us to be here just to kind of dig into Luke chapter 11. I, I, love, I love what Luke has done here. Just the brilliance of Luke to, to, to show us without a doubt true story that Jesus is, is the Son of God sent by God to shine the light of God so that men can get back to God. And we recognize that. This morning we collectively recognize that Jesus is God. We receive Him. And God, we want to go out and reflect that to the world. We want to reflect who He is, not who we wish He was, who we hope He is, but who He actually is. We don't want to be a bad neon sign. Make us the best neon signs we can be pointing people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen.